0: Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church podcast. With multiple campuses existing within southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. It's great uh, to be together on a beautiful weekend. This is why we live here, right? Yes, yes. And y'all are all here stuck inside. Uh, we'll let you go in just a little bit. Um, we're continuing this, this series uh, really talking about the Bibles. If you have your Bible or your phone, that's, that's legit. Um, you're probably going to need to pull it out uh, this morning. And we're going to be doing this for the next couple of weeks. Uh, in fact, I would invite you to bring a Bible. I'm going to make a case, a small case and not a badgering case, of why you should actually read um, from paper Version of the Bible, Uh, even though your phones are completely fine, um, there's there's brain stuff that's uh, at stake in it, and um, but I'd like for you to bring them because I want us to I want you to see some things together because my assumptions about this is that all of us um, have tried to read the Bible at various points in our lives, and I assume and I want to see like show of hands. This includes all of our campuses and online. You can like if you're by yourself you can raise your hand. I suppose won't you know you can chat in what you want to do, but. if you have read the Bible at some point in time and you got something out of it, like you read it and it was like, whoa, that was for me. Like, let you me like, your hands. All right, perfect, that's, that's cool. Good, good, good. Now, I want you to also answer this, I want you to raise your hands. If you have read the Bible and you got nothing out of it, I want you to raise your hand. It's like the same people, right? Do you see this? It happens, it happens. And so, what I want to do is, I want to kind of create some frame, and I want us to, to enter into some things together to, to try to experiment with some things. One of the things that we're looking at in this series, and I think it's a fair question if you show up at a church or you show up at any place and they're using some book or some set of instructions or some rules or some creed, you ought to know why they use it. Like, you ought to know that. When you show up at a church and we read out of the Bible every week, you probably ought to go, Why do they read out of the Bible? Why do we read out of the Bible? So I want to make sure that we kind of answer that question to get an overview of what the Bible is, you know, why we use it, and how it is that we use it. I think a lot of us are often frustrated, and I, I myself have been in this category, because we think that we should be able to pick up the Bible and read it like any other book and understand exactly what God commands us to do, what He wants us to do, what He expects us to do. And we assume that God should be clear. We assume that reading the Bible should make everything that God wants To be clear. And there are places where the Bible is clear. There are places where the Bible is very, very, very clear. And often, in the places where the Bible is most clear, are the places where we don't obey it at all. Let me give you some examples. It is clear that the Bible says that the following offenses are punishable by stoning someone to death. This is clear in the Bible. Murder, rape, adultery, witchcraft, Sabbath breaking. If you break the Sabbath, you should be like stoned to death. Disobedient to parents. How's that for like the ultimate parent parental flex? It's very clear that some foods are forbidden in the Bible. It's clear that women should not speak in church. Did you know that's in there? <laughs> there are clear instructions about head coverings. And I, I've, I've done this long enough where I've heard all of the reasons why we don't do these things. I've heard it. And to be honest, most of it doesn't sit well with me. I think we have to do better. I think we have to figure out if we're gonna believe and trust and live and let the Bible speak to us We can't just explain certain things away and then hold on to the things that we think are important or suit more more likely, suit our already um, sort of secure beliefs. And my point is not that the Scriptures can't be trusted, but rather it is just the opposite, that we can trust the Scriptures because God has preserved them for us. These writings contain what God has to say and we can discover what God has to say. And in order to discover what God has to say requires us to do more than just read the Bible. It requires us to hear from him. Does that make sense? This is what we want, it's what you want it's what I want. And people come in, it's so funny because people come in here all the time and I hear this, I've been doing this for a long time. People say, Mike, I came to the church and you were talking directly to me. You, have you thought that before? You know, there's only three ways that that can be true. Number one is I'm spying on you, which could be true. I'm spying on you and I'm like, I'm gonna say this to, to John over there. Or number two, there was just such a coincidence that whatever you were thinking about, I happen to be thinking about and I bring the same thing to bear. Or there's a third option. The third option is that somehow God took whatever it was I was saying, whatever it was you were feeling, and he said something different in that space that made you believe I was talking directly to you, and what it was is you were actually hearing, or sensing, or seeing something kind of miraculous, some way that kind of brings us and pulls us in. That's what's available to us. Um, and I don't spy on you, by the by the way. That's what that's what's available to us in this. So, what I want us to do, and and I, and I get this because for some of you, this is troublesome because. You feel like we should not have to interpret the Bible. It's there in black and white and we should just do what it says. And I get that. I lived a lot of my life like that. I I believed that for a long time. I still want to believe that. But for others, the journey to reading the Bible has been so intimidating and it's hard enough to read it. And now we're gonna add some level of discernment that's required for you to do this. Um, And you're just wondering how in the world you're ever going to be able to do that. Do you just have to be a Bible scholar to figure this out? So we're going to do an experiment today. We're going to kind of read the Bible um, together and kind of walk you through this. So first of all, I want to be really clear on what we are saying about the Bible. And I have, again, deliberately chosen these words, uh, avoiding all of the normal things that we always say about the Bible, in order to give us a frame of reference of how we're going to view and see the Bible. So the first thing is the Bible is a collection of writings written by different, we talked about this last week, it's a collection of writings that reveal God's love, and there are these three frames. Reveal God's love, reveal God's pursuit, and it reveals God's plan or promise of redemption. And so this, this just frames what we are going to be looking for as we read. The Bible is God-breathed and it is sovereignly preserved. God-breathed and sovereignly preserved the Bible Right, reveals to us who God is and what God has to say, ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ as our clearest revelation for God. This is really important for you to understand because a lot of us, when you read the Bible, particularly when you read parts of the Bible that make God seem, um, kind of give an unflattering view of God, you begin to wonder, could God be like that? Is he just arbitrarily punishing certain people and arbitrarily giving favor to others. Like what gives? With them? There's a lot of representation in there. And what I'm learning to do, and I think this is what we are called to do, is when we want to know what God is like, we defer to Jesus. And then out of that, he frames everything else. And I can give you like tons of places in the Bible where we are actually called to do that. This isn't Mike making this up. Even in the way this is given to us in uh, some of the classic passages, again, we looked at this last week, that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired. And we read this in its context last week. We noticed and added or noticed two observations to this. We'll pick this up, verse 14. But as for you, he's talking to Timothy. Paul is writing a letter to his uh, sort of mentor, mentee, his mentor, the person he's mentoring, whatever you would call that, his protege. And he says, Timothy, I urge you to continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. And the reasons are this. Number one is because you know know those from whom you have learned it. You had a trusted voice that taught you these things. And number two, right, how from infancy you have known of the Holy Scriptures, and they are able to make you wise through faith uh, in Christ, uh, they will make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All Scripture, he goes on, is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, and for rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What you want to sort of frame this is in your reading. You're thinking about this idea of what is it that's framing the way we read and pursue and see God in the Bible, and what you think about is that that the story in the Bible, the narrative is given to us and it helps us understand and to experience our own salvation, your own salvation. That's that's the point. He wants for you to understand what it looks like to live and to draw life from God. We, We taught this earlier today, right? To abide, to remain, to draw life from him. And the second thing is it's very clear that we need each other. We need each other. This is not an exercise of Mike going up on a mountain, God downloading some stuff, and then come back and downloading it to you. This is us wrestling things out together. We live in a culture that is incredibly complex. We have oversimplified so many of the things that people struggle with. And we, we, we you know, diagnose, we or, or, uh, uh, sort of critique, we divide, label, and then put them in categories. And then we just say, oh, if people just did this, then this would be this way. And life and humans just don't work like that. And so when I think about this, I want to think about what did God do or what does it mean for God to breathe? What did God breathe? When you say that the scriptures are God-breathed, there's a picture in your head. And again, I've had this conversation with a ton of people. A lot of us think that God sort of downloaded something into, you know, Paul or into David or whoever's writing, and he just kind of like possessed him and then he wrote it down. That's actually that's actually Islam. That's how the Quran got to be. You realize that the Bible, and I don't know if it's the only one, it's the only one that I know of that doesn't attribute itself to some miraculous or divine origin. The Book of Mormon, the Quran, the, I mean, all of, they all have these divine, like they fell out of the sky or it was downloaded to Muhammad or some other version. The Bible is just like, hey, Paul wrote this. David wrote this. John wrote this. Wrote in my own hand, Paul says in a couple places. So, what does it mean for God to breathe? Let me ask you a question. When God breathes, what does he breathe? Yeah. Think Genesis 2 7. This is the only place this word is used in the scriptures. Theos pneumos, God breathed or God spirited. Genesis 2.7, God forms out of the clay. I say this all the time because you've got to go back and back and back to what God intended. And he fashions the first human and he does what? He breathes into him what? The breath of The thing that you're all looking for. So, what do you suppose when God breathed into scriptures, what he was breathing into them? When he said, This is what I'm doing, what do you suppose? How do we think about this? My whole upbringing, this verse was used to suggest that this was evidence for the fact that the Bible is true. And while that is fine, I think that God breathed is far more than evidence for us to consider, but rather is an invitation for us to receive something as we enter in and learn how to read and interact with the Scriptures. And what we're going to see today is Paul has this collision of what he read on the pages of his Holy Scriptures and what he was experiencing and how he processed that. And I know that sounds Weird, like that. What God wrote and what God has to say seem to be in contradiction. That makes a lot of us uncomfortable, and believe me, I'm uncomfortable as well. If this doesn't go well in this service, I'm not doing this again in the next one. What God is asking us always, when we read, is that he's inviting us to trust, and he's inviting us to depend, and he's inviting to us to offer ourselves. When he breathes in life, he is breathing in the the source that animates and brings vitality and all the things that we would attribute to being alive. That's what he's doing. So you have to understand that in order to read this and to participate in what God wants to do, to read it with his intent, to see what God has to say. I understand the fear. I get it. The fear is that we'll become loose with the Bible and we will use it to say whatever we want it to say. Let me tell you, that happens all the time. I hear it every week. I hear it almost every week. Turn on the news, depending on which you'll hear it used. People do this all the time anyway. The reality is, is you can find whatever you want to find in the Bible. If I were God, I would have done it much differently. But if I were God, there'd be a lot of people who would not be, have a shot, right? <laughs> Grace would be doled out a little bit differently if, if I was in charge. And, and if you were in charge, right, same way, same thing with you. So what I'm proposing, what I what I'm hoping that we'll see, is to actually try and flesh out what it is like to listen to God, to pursue him and to pursue his character and his desire and to allow his revelation of himself to drive everything else. That's that's what I want for us. And I wanna show you how this works. In Acts chapter 10, it's a very interesting idea. Acts is essentially Luke recording all the things that unfolded after Jesus' resurrection and the birth of the early church and this movement that spread uh, throughout Jerusalem and then began to... Trickling to other parts of the world. And this is one of the first places where there's Gentiles and Jews that are now going to start to share uh, the gospel together. And it's a guy named Cornelius, and it mentions in the Bible, so Luke is writing this, and Luke says that Cornelius is a centurion. He is a Roman centurion, which means he's in the Roman army, and he's of the Italian cohort. And there's a whole lot we can discern from that. We're not going to talk about that today. And then you have Peter who has just kind of come out, uh, Pentecost has happened, all these people are starting to rally around the, um, the movement of Jesus, and it's beginning to, to uh, sort of, it's, it's unruly at this point in time, and they're trying to figure out what to do with this. Acts reads very chaotic, because it was chaotic. And so um, so Cornelius is in one place, and he's praying, says he's a God-fearing man, so he doesn't know he's praying, too. he's probably got some kind of, uh, um, I mean, probably some Jewish influence, but it's, it's probably more than that. It's like he was a God-fearing man and he's praying at three o'clock in the afternoon, that afternoon prayer, and he gets a vision from God. Or he says, an angel visits him and says, go send for Peter. He's staying over in Joppa by the sea. He's like, I don't know what to do with that. So he says, hey, I had this vision. Go get Peter and, and, bring, him, uh, and, and bring him to me. So Peter is over here and he's praying and it actually says he gets called up in a trance. <laughs> I don't even know what. Go, go figure. And he hears something from God. He has a vision from God. Now, Peter is a devout Jew. He's a Jewish fisherman. He followed Jesus. Y'all know, know the story about Peter, right? Cut off the guy's ear, walked on water. This is Saint Peter. So Peter is, um, Peter is, is, his, is you know, Jesus is, is, has been crucified, has rose. You know, Peter denied Jesus. Um, Peter then uh, is restored by Jesus in John 21. So, all this has happened to Peter. And he's what it means to follow Jesus, but he's got this, this incredibly devout upbringing in the Holy Scriptures of the Old Covenant. And so, he's there, and these sheets fall down, and they have all these animals on them. They're, it mentions there are four uh, uh, hooves and all the different things, and they're there. And it happens three times, it says. This happens. And here's the exchange that Peter hears. Starting in verse 13, so these, these four-footed uh, animals come down, they're on this sheet. And a voice told him, this is in verse 13 of uh, Acts chapter 10. Then a voice told him, Peter, get up, kill and eat, kill and eat. So he tells him all these animals that are on the sheet, and they're, they're unclean, by the way. Like that's specifically what is meant by this. A voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. Why? Because I have always obeyed what you have commanded me to do in the Scriptures. Like that's what he's saying. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Then the voice spoke a second time, and this is what it says. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So here's the implications of this. The implications of this is now Peter has some measure of uncertainty. What he thought, right, was now being challenged, and it seemed like it was being challenged by God himself. As like there was something that was happening to him, and he sort of, you start to frame this. And so at that time, as Peter wakes up, just so happens these guys that Cornelius sent to come and get him show up at the door. And the Spirit says to Peter, go with them. So Peter's like, okay, this is all recorded in your Bible in Acts chapter 10. So they come, they take Peter. I'm going to kind of sum, summarize this because I want, to get, I, want to, I want to practice this. So Peter goes with them, and he comes over, and there are all these Greeks and uh, Romans, and they're Gentiles. And he goes into their house, and he gets in there, and he starts to talk with them, and they, they arrive at the house. And this goes on down, and this is in uh, chapter 10, verse uh, 27 uh, and this is what Peter, or what Peter says. And Peter goes into the house. They were all talking. Verse 28, this is what Peter says. The first words out of his mouth, it appears. He says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. Just so you're unclear, this is uncool. This is against what we believe. And then he says what? But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean and what you begin to see is this this collision do you do you feel the tension i hope you do because this isn't this is this is like the ten commandments peter god is telling him to do something that he has never done things that violate his very conscience this is this is significant And Peter could have said, oh no, this is what what the scriptures say, I ain't doing this. But God is saying, there's something else that's being revealed. There's a pursuit, there's a love, there's a redemptive promise. And this is really important because what Peter did know, that God said it is through the Jewish people that all the nations will be blessed. The blessings that the Jews hold would be available, it's through them that all nations be blessed. And so now Peter's got a question: Is he going to act on what he has read, or is he going to act on what God has to say? He's going to act on God's character, what he knows about God. And he goes on, and if you keep reading, this gets really, really. I mean, I don't. Again, we're going. To, I want. You, I just want you to feel the tension. I'm um, Cornelius, and this is not flippant, and this is not like, oh, we're just going to have a little casual discussion about what the Bible has to say. When, when they arrive, Cornelius says to them, "This is the Greek." Italian centurion, a Roman centurion, he says, now, Peter, we are all here, verse 33, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. We are here with God. We are here underneath his rule. In fact, when Peter talks about this, one of the things he mentions specifically is the lordship of Jesus. Remember, we've been talking about this I'm not inviting you to sort of like Jesus as a friend. I'm talking about the fact that he has authority and dominion and rule. And it is our responsibility to come underneath it. This is exactly the language. But here's what Peter says when he uh, begins to speak to them. Or Cornelius says, we're gathered here in the presence of the Lord. And then Peter began to speak, and this is what he says, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and the one who does what is right. And my point in this is not to try and exhaust this. I want you to see what Peter is, is processing. He's like, there's something that I know about God that is informing the way I enter into the world. There's something that I know about God that is, help me understand all those other laws and rules that I have grown up and am familiar with and tend to depend on. And we don't have time to get into that, or to, to uh, delete, you know, uh, abandon those laws. We, we're not, I just want you to, I want you to feel the tension And what Peter had to do, and what he had to do was he had to discern. He had to make choices about what he knew. And all of us have to do the same thing. Every one of us, every time you read and enter into something in the Scriptures, you have to make choices. And a lot of us, right, we make choices about allegiances we have to particular issues that we're passionate about or particular political positions or political strategies that were so we read the Bible and we well, you have to do you have to decide what you're gonna do about what you read. And you have to decide your motives and you have to wrestle those out. Lord knows I have to do it all the time. I have to stand up here every day and say, Lord, there's a lot of things I wanna say to push my way and my agenda all the time. Believe me, it's there. I have to say, Lord, you have to sort my motives. You have to, you know why? Because for us to learn the Bible together, one is we have to trust that this is helping us understand our salvation and to experience our salvation. And number two, we have to do it because we trust the voices that we're listening to. And if I violate your trust, if I violate your trust, I do one of the very things that are required that undermines what God actually longs to do through his word. Who and how we do this is incredibly important. And please, I don't it's, it's too early in the morning, but like you have no idea, like I take this as seriously as anything in my life. Because I recognize how critical it is that we learn to trust one another and we learn to live in a way that is trustworthy, not perfect, but that you can depend that what I am trying to do is not force anything other than to say, God, can you help us understand who you are? And how we can be the kind of people that you've called us to be. That's it. That's it. So I'm not trying to be flippant. I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm trying to be helpful. That's what I want. But the reality is, is you have to do this. You have to do this. You hear and read and think things. And then you just have to simply decide, what am I going to do with this? Peter decided that in order to actually pursue people who are from far from God, you're going to have to cross lines that very few people are willing to cross. Now that is true for us. There are people who annoy me to no end. That I have had to get over myself and to enter into their spaces. To listen and to learn and to understand. Because there's something bigger. There's a promise of redemption that God longs to do in and through this world. And there was this idea to frame it around God's love and God's pursuit And God's redemption helps me to understand not only what he's doing for me, but what he's doing through other people. So what I want us to do in the last few minutes that we have remains, I want to kind of experiment with this. And we're going to use the letter that Peter wrote. So Peter had all this happen. And interestingly enough, if you keep reading, Peter's decision to like violate the the commands of of the the dietary laws and to go to the Gentiles, the next five chapters are about the ruckus that it caused. They were ticked at Peter. And they're trying to figure out, so what should we make these people do then? You know what they came up with? Do you know? Gets, uh, um, uh, what was the two things? Uh, they didn't have to be circumcised. I'll have to go back through and, and my, my, my brain just shut down. But they, but it just created chaos. And you'll read how they interact with us and how they work together to understand what the Lord wanted for them to do. So what I want for us to do is we, is we kind of, end here. And I want us to do this like if you were, we were doing our quiet time, and I'm going to kind of talk you through this devotionally. And I want you to, to, to hear, like, just like you sometimes say, oh, Mike's speaking directly to me. Maybe today, what you read, you're going to, you're going to hear something, see something that God wants to say to you. And then you go, God, thank you for speaking to me. What you choose to do about it will be a separate thing, but the first thing we want to do is to hear. To hear and to discern what God has to say to us We know that what God has to say is more than simply what we read, right? You can can appreciate that. No, we're in trouble. I know this is uncomfortable and I know that it can feel uncertain. I get all that. But this is also, I think, the freedom that we long for. Nobody wants to be married to someone Right, who didn't commit adultery because you were commanded not to, honey? Why don't you cheat on me? Well, because God would kill me if I did. That's not very endearing. You want to look and you want to say, "What else would I do? Like to be fed, What else? Where else would I go? Like there's something in our heart that needs to be awakened so that the commands are just like what? It doesn't mean they're not true. It just means that's not where that's there's a there's a love that's compelling us to the life that we're actually created to live. We're created to be image bearers of God, which is a far more beautiful call than to just be his rule keepers. Some of you have met people who are just rule keepers of God. It is not a pleasant experience. We're image bearers. That's what we're called to be. This requires an intimacy and an understanding and an obedience And it's what is it that the Spirit has to say? What does God have to say to us? How do we read this in such a way that he breathes life into us? How does it animate our actions and our attitudes? How does it awaken our hearts? So based on what we learned today, I just want to kind of enter into this. And the prayer goes something like this. Lord, would you open our eyes to see and would you open our hearts to believe? That's just your posture today. Would you give us permission to see beyond The words on the page in order to understand what it is, God, that you have to say to us, to us, today. So we're going to read this together and I'm going to walk you through this. So God, would you speak to us through your word? This is Peter writing a letter to the saints that were gathered and scattered during the persecution in the first century. Verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2, as you come to him, and you can read this on the screen, right? As you come to him, the living stone, in your mind, there's these imagery that starts to pop up, right? You're invited to show up with him, to be in his presence. There's there's a, a rock, and it's it's alive. The stone was rejected by humans, but it was chosen by God, and it was precious to him. You also, in the likeness of, right, image-bearing, that's the picture, living stones, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, here's what I noticed. So You're reading this and going, am well, I supposed to like, wear a collar? Like, well, to, like, wear a collar. Like, There's other pictures that pop in your head. What priests did, priests, their job was, was to represent God to people. They said, here's what God has to say. Here's how God is. Here's God's image. So you and I, as this royal priesthood, our job is to do what? To represent God to others according to his image. But priests had another function. They also represented people. They represented others back to God. They mediated this. So God's building something. And so you just, you're saying, God, can you speak to us? What does this mean? How do I represent you to others? And what does it mean for me to represent uh, others to you? Have you thought about that? So you put it in your mind and in your heart and say, God, can you speak to me about this? You also like living stones. We keep reading, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then Peter draws on his knowledge and understanding of the Hebrew Bible, and he quotes from Isaiah, and he quotes from Psalm. And let me make one more note, too. You know how I knew about the priesthood? You know how I knew that? Because I've read the Bible with people who've read the Bible a lot longer than me. You know what happens when you read the Bible with people who've read the Bible longer than you? You start to learn things about who God is, and and that's why we have to do it together. That's why we have to do it together. We have to do it together. We have to learn trusted voices and how we do this together. So Peter draws and he uses, this as a little poetry from Psalms and Isaiah. And he says, there's this living stone and he just pulls back from what he knows about the Hebrew Bible. See, verse six, from the scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, which is the city of God, a chosen and a precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And if you're like doing this in your quiet time, you might want to just sit on that for a minute. The one who trusts will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe this stone is precious. To those of us who believe we see something about this stone that other people who don't believe perhaps won't see. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it's also become, and here's another quote from Isaiah, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. But you are, let uh, me keep reading, right? Um, this, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for. And here's what I think we have to understand. The stone that we're talking about isn't neutral, You start showing up at church and trying to figure out what God is. It's not going to be neutral. You're either going to, he's going to become your foundation or you're going to, he's going to frustrate the mess out of you because you're going to be wrestling and you're going to, he's going to be drawing and calling and you're going to stumble, right? That's the picture. This isn't neutral. And he returns back and he reminds us of something very important. He says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, and he's just bringing that language back. A holy nation, God's treasured or special possession, that you may declare the praise that your lives may sort of exude this from him who has called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Like, he's not talking to the Jews and the Gentiles. He's talking to everybody. He's saying, hey, once you you didn't belong, and now you do belong. Why? Because once you didn't receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what does God have to say to you? Perhaps it's a call to trust because there's a tension of shame that you're sensing or this, this disappointment that you're feeling. Or perhaps it's just a reminder that you've been chosen and you've been intended. Or perhaps it's a reminder that it's not enough for you to do for you and your tribe and your crew and that you actually belong to something bigger that God is building to pursue and demonstrate His love for the world around us. What is God saying to you? We're chosen, we're intended, we're called to live in His light. Some of you have pulled out of the light because you're doing things, you're kind of hiding things. It's like it's time to, we know what it's like to live in the light, and we know we, we are called to live as the light. We don't have to look very far to remember what it feels like to live outside of his mercy and outside of his grace, which reminds us of how beautiful it is to live in the care of his mercy, which then compels us to extend ourselves so that others may experience that as well and all this happened in six verses all right what, what might god have to say to you what i hope you'll do is to take this passage in the new testament of your bibles print it out write it out in your journal get your bible open and just read it over and over and over and over and be reminded of what we have said here today not so you'll say oh this is what mike says about this we we do this so we can say lord Could you breathe life into me through what it is that you have preserved for us? Help me, understand your love for me and for the world, your pursuit of me and for the world. And the reality is that there is nothing that is ever wasted because you are fierce in your promise of redemption. You start reading it like that, you'll start seeing more and more and more what it is that God has to say. I would love for you to bring your Bibles uh, next week. And if you are here and you do not have one, well, there's 4,000 translations. We have some folks who are uh, at all of our campuses who can help you um, find one, and we'd be honored um, to do that. If you'll join me as we pray. Father, thank you that you have preserved uh, something miraculous for us and that you have called us out of darkness and into your light, which includes eliminating the scriptures for us. We are dependent on you for that. God, I pray that we would be wholly reverent in our approach, that we are in your presence. Father, also, we would be wholly dependent on your Spirit to reveal and to show and to call and to draw us. That as each of us reads, that we will discern what you have to say. Father, that we will, our motives, all those things, will be sorted so that our obedience actually continues what it is that you have created. And so, Lord, I ask for that. I ask you to help us today as a community, as a body, as a family. Father, out of this, would we become Your vision, what you envision us to be. To glorify you and to impact our city, our region, and our world. And I ask you to do that because that's what you have invited us to and that's what you have promised to do. So I lift all this to you in the name of your son Jesus, uh, who is our king. Amen.